If you would, please bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your word now, Lord, I pray that it would have its work. Lord, it does not return void. Lord, even as the voice of Jesus is heard by the dead, Lord, may our hearts hear you. Lord, help us to push uh, away from our our hearts, our minds, Lord, any of the events of the day or the coming week. Lord, to focus to be here and now. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1 through 45. If you would, please stand with me in honor of God's word as I read. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead and been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who would come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that, you, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said those things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to, him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Heavenly Father, may your word have its work. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So, full disclosure, when Andy texted me and said, i got to have your passage ASAP for the bulletin, I panicked, looked at the lectionary, and it said, John 11, 1 through 45, I said, good enough for me, sent it. If you say tonight, hey, Will, you left a, meat, a lot of meat on the bone, it's a big bone. So keep reading and studying, okay? But I'm going to try to hit the the points in here, so uh, please do understand that. But also that as I looked at this text, and having already sent the message to Andy, which cannot be retrieved, of course, I looked at it and I said, oh dear, because it is speaking to uh, an event in my own life, which I would rather not have. It's like, Lord, couldn't it just be the genealogy? that I preach something easier. Um, So just so you know, that is taking place. So in this larger context of John, in a sense, it is finishing up a number of the I am sayings where Jesus is helping them understand who he is, helping them understand his identity, helping them understand his work so that in... For instance, beginning back in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then again in chapter 8, Jesus says, He is the light of the world. Later in chapter 8, in dramatic fashion, He tells those listening to Him, Before Abraham was, I am. And this was so blatantly, in their minds, (laughs) blasphemous, that they tried to pick up stones to kill Him. In chapter 9, He heals a man born blind while proclaiming, I am the light of the world. Then in chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And also, I am the good shepherd. I am the father or one. All of these metaphors and images are used to describe who this Jesus is. A number of these come to us even as the story of Lazarus is unfolding, which is, I love this story because, and in one sense, Lazarus is a central character, and in another sense, he barely shows up. It's only at the end when he's resurrected. So in many ways, Lazarus himself is actually a, a barely noticeable subplot, 
although it begins with him. So we learn that Lazarus is ill and gravely ill. We learn that Matt Lazarus was the brother of two sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the same Mary, as you recall, that anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped those same feet with her hair. They loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. The sisters sent word to Jesus, as you can well imagine, that Lazarus was sick. Now, this was a cry for help. They likely would have done the would be the normal uh, understanding of medicine of the day, but of course, none of that was effective. And he keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So in this desperate cry for help, they send word to Jesus to please come. And then it says, Jesus loved them, so of course, He did not immediately go to them, but waited two days. That has always struck me. Has it ever struck you? Now, Jesus loved them, so He stayed. That makes, in one sense to me, no sense whatsoever. That's hard to, to grasp from a human perspective. I love them so much, I'm not going to come immediately and drop what I'm doing. And I, I appreciate in this passage, it doesn't tell us what Jesus stayed to do. It's immaterial. It doesn't matter. It would be reasonable to think that Jesus would come and heal Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. He can heal him. Therefore what? He should come and do so. And this is what we expect. Have you ever prayed, asking, no, begging God to act? To help? To come to your rescue? Knowing the, the pain and the, the trial of your life or the life of those that you love? God can, can He not? He can. God loves, does He not? He does. So, and we know that nothing, did you ever sing this song in church camp? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Everybody remember that one? I love that one. And so, He loves us. We groan. We pray. We wait. And sometimes we can be tempted to believe that maybe God didn't show up in our time of need. Those days while Lazarus declined, suffered, and finally died must have been difficult to bear. They send word for Jesus to let Jesus know what's going on. And then they must wait. Have you ever found yourself waiting for a phone call, a text message, or an email that has tremendous weight on your life? You're waiting for it. You check it frequently. You keep hoping for that buzz or that ding that says, ah, it's come. How often did they, as they're tending to their dying brother whom they love, who's a good man, their ear is also somewhat outside as they're waiting for the sound of approaching people. Because Jesus, Jesus comes, He's coming with a group. And they're waiting, and nothing is happening. And as they do that, they tend to Lazarus who is suffering and is dying and he declines more and more until finally he has died and there's nothing left to do but now to wrap the body, perfume it, and place it in the tomb. And of course their hearts, Martha and Mary both say, Lord, if you had been here, what? 
my brother would not have died. And we'll come to that in a moment. One of the ways in which the world suffers in this life, and I see this uh, many times, I know you do too, but one of the ways the world suffers in this life is that in their suffering, it is void of purpose, meaning, and redemption. This is where the gospel comes in. That there is purpose, that there is meaning, and there is redemption, even in our suffering. We'll come to this. So what is going on? Well, a couple of things. What Jesus here is doing is twofold. First, he says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's his first, one of the first things he says he's waiting. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works how many things? A few things? Most things. All things. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things in our life that occur to us in joy or in pain, all things are working according to His will. And that there is not a a maverick molecule, as R.C. Sproul used to say, and I really appreciate that. There is an unseen plan that is unfolding in our experience and in our life and certainly here in the life of the disciples and in Lazarus' family. It is unseen, but it is known. Known to God. Where is this going? Why is this taking place? God is at work in the everyday events of our lives, whether in sickness or in health. And in that plan and work of God, there is a final result that will bring God glory. God loves that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, his disciples, and all those who are his own will be glorified through the events that involve us. God's plan includes his timing. Full disclosure, I wish God would act in my timing. And I do ask. Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's no. The older I get, it seems the more often it's no. But how many of you are fans of the Chronicles of Narnia series? Uh, If you're a good believer, you love that series. Let's just put it out there, right? When does Aslan show up? He's like a wizard. When he means to. Never late. Never early. In the stories, he arrives exactly when he's supposed to. How much easier would it have been if, if Aslan had just showed up, killed the witch, and eaten the Turkish delight all in one moment? Now, it would be a lousy book. Wouldn't have sold much. But even then, it's as though C.S. Lewis is, is telling us there is a timing and a plan of God that is difficult for us. And he doesn't always explain things the way that I wish he would explain them. I, I, I cut the disciples a lot of credit. I, I, I cut them slack. When they said, well, what's wrong with Lazarus? Well, he's not going to die. He's only asleep. Okay. That's how I would, I would take it. Okay, so he has died. Now, by the way, again, a lot of meat left on the bone. I hear you. But when Jesus says this does not lead to death, it does not lead to ultimate death. God's plans... 
Just curious, how many of you in this room are airborne qualified? Ugh, I hate you guys. So I'm 46 when I finally get my opportunity to go to airborne school. And on my very first jump, I break my leg in eight places. I have 13 pins and two plates down here. Now in the kind providence of God, I don't have to run another mile for the army <laughs> till I retire easily. So you have fun with all your running, okay? But I got to tell you, I worked and had to stay in shape to keep up with those 17 to 21 year olds. And boys, in your 40s, it gets harder and harder and harder to do that. When COVID broke, they wouldn't, they wouldn't send anyone from Alaska to the schools. So I had to wait for COVID to release till finally I got my shot to go. Our unit in Alaska, there you go, was an airborne unit and I was able to... Uh, to go to their manifest, or to ride in them with the plane, to see them fall down at, at the drop zone, but I wasn't able to actually jump with them. So now was the chance. I'm going to finally, at 46, earn my wings. And to be honest with you, I thought too highly of those wings. More on that later. But I really wanted to do this badly. So I finally get down there. And I'm, I, guys, I'm, I'm killing it. I'm doing great. Those two weeks were just, it was like, it was like fun for me. It really, really was. And then when I landed on Friar Drop Zone, I felt something very, very painful in my leg. Very painful. And as the, the medics are tending to me, the medic says he's going to give me something, and then he also says uh, ketamine. Do you know what ketamine is? Uh, horse tranquilizer. You talk about sending me into another dimension. It is a mind-body separation, and it does its job effectively. So I don't want to detract from this, but I do want to point something out. It had such an effect that you do not know what is reality. And I cannot stress that enough. You have no idea what's real and is not real. A memory flashes in front of you, it's an image. Nothing more, there's no attachment to it. I've never experienced this before. I've been uh, put under for uh, different uh, surgeries and whatnot. This is not being put under. The, the, the lights are on, but no one's home. You're not really asleep. And I didn't know, full disclosure, if I was dying. I had not experienced this one at all. And I began to be very, very afraid when I could not plant my mind anywhere meaningful whatsoever that had any kind of concrete value. And then all of a sudden... Jesus. And I just thought, Lord Jesus, take hold of my spirit. And folks, that was the only thing I had absolute certainty was real. And then the next thing I know, I'm being put into a, a civilian ambulance and the medic with me is so large, he reminded me of the ghost of Christmas present. And he looks down at me, and my head just kind of flopped to him. And he says, hey, brother, you're a chaplain. That's like a preacher. And I just remember blinking at him, because I really still couldn't do much at this moment. But I'm, see, I'm beginning to grasp reality. And as, as we're bouncing our way back towards the hospital... 
Uh, former moderator of the ARP Senate, Steve May, on a phone call we had one time, said to me, God has no bad plans, Will. And that was the first salient thought that entered my mind as I'm in the back of that ambulance. God has no bad plans. Now, guys, my leg was broken. My heart was broken. I mean, I was just devastated by this. But dwelling on that, God has no bad plans. I kept chewing on that and chewing on that. So as I'm taken to the hospital, I'm in the emergency room. They haven't uh, taken me back or anything. And here comes this medic. And he walks up to me, big old smile on his face. (laughs) And he says, brother, I just wanted you to know I didn't call the church secretary and put you on our prayer list. (laughs) Now, folks, I don't think I've heard sweeter news in my life. I'm not kidding. I felt so cared for by the prayers of these people I've never met. I have no idea who they are. But in the kind providence of God that on the one hand just broke my leg and also ended my airborne career, it is also the kindness of God loving me then. More on that. I like this quote by C.S. Lewis. We ne- we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. God has ways of getting our attention. Pain is one of them. Now, God also gets our attention with joy. Never had that? A blessing comes and immediately... You're singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I find my attention stays on him longer when I'm in pain. So in that way, it is a blessing and a gift. But it is a hard one. It is a a form of spiritual combat. But this is what I have to lean on. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm sure it was difficult to see Lazarus' sickness grow worse and worse. And it's hard to see it then as somehow that leading to the glory of God. But let's bring Lazarus into this. Did that not lead to him experiencing the glory of God? It did. And in my cynical self, I'll be honest with you, after spending four days in heaven, he has to come back? I've often wondered when they removed the linen, was Lazarus' face like, (laughs) heaven was better. And it's interesting. We have no testimony of Lazarus with his four days in heaven. You ever notice that? Not a word written. Not a word is spoken about it. But I can imagine that when Lazarus' face was revealed, there must have been such a smile on his face that even the radiance of Moses didn't compare. Just go, well, I'll take that back in a second. But to go, my goodness, you cannot believe what awaits us. Now again, it's not spoken. But nevertheless, it is hard sometimes to see and to to see how this is going to lead to to our good and our growth in Christ. It is, however... 
that which we can hold on to. It doesn't always make the pain go away. It's still hard. It's still difficult. But it does give meaning to it and to remember that God is in control of this. Something else I want to mention. How we get through this. Filling our mind with Scripture, godly counsel again. God has no bad plans. And prayer is the way God has given us to weather the storm of grief, suffering, and pain. Apart from that, we are washed away, drifting at sea, tossed here and there. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Have you ever felt like that beaten house? Live a little longer. Your house will get beaten on, but you don't wash away. And that is a testimony to others. How are you weathering this storm? How are you going through that? Well, you can tell them plainly, don't get me wrong, it hurts. I'm getting beat on here. But the Lord is all my comfort and my stay. I love the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Oh, what a blessing is this hymn. I love the line, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. What a foundation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are in the midst of this painful season and you do not know when it will end. God knows when it will end. God does. And he is God over the storm. So hold fast to the rock. The second striking feature of this passage that I want to point out is as he is weeping with those uh, who weep. But before we get to that, I do want to point out something that's missing. Again, the disciples, I, I, I really identify with them in that they ask a question, they're unsure, and sometimes they get the rebuke of Jesus. Have you noticed this in the Gospels? How slow you are to believe. How can you not see this? I mean, he he really is, sometimes when I say hard on them, he is nevertheless using these to speak to them and encourage their faith. And this, there's no rebuke in this grief and suffering. Do you ever notice that? Even when Martha approaches him and said, Lord, if if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Friends, that's a passive reproach. It's a passive one. It's not direct. But is she right? She's right. She also says, Lord, I know that whatever you ask of the Father, He hears you. So could Jesus have healed from 100 miles away? Certainly. Proximity is not an issue. But there's no rebuke. There is love. There is compassion. He knows their frailty and the constraints of their understanding and faith. He is kind and compassionate to them. On this grief stricken occasion, all that is absent. And folks, this is really instructional for us as well. When you have friends and loved ones who are going through a great deal of, of grief and, and travail, their faith, and as they express it, may well sound very much imperfect. It may even sound not reformed. Go easy on them. 
Love them. Be gentle with them. Direct them to the Lord. Direct them to Christ and His compassion and His sovereignty and care and His, and His providence. This is also a wonderful um, narrative regarding the providence of God as well. But encourage them and nurture them. Understanding their brokenness by loss of sin and death. And that's another thing to, to remember is that in the midst of pain and suffering, we're not always thinking well. So be kind and good uh, to those who may not be at the same time. When Mary fell at his feet, she was weeping and crying out to him. And the Jews following him uh, were crying as well. Really, when you look at this passage, uh, Lazarus must have been a man who was respected because they do come from all over to come and to grieve for Lazarus and to be there for Mary and Martha. I have to give uh, Marvel Studios credit with the line from WandaVision. How many of you watched WandaVision when it came out a couple years ago? Was that a weird show? That was strange. Um, But there's a line where I think it's a vision that says, what is grief except love enduring? Love that quote. That's a good one. And as they are coming and grieving, they're clearly expressing their love. But the Bible says that when Jesus was, it says, deeply moved, usually this is an expression that denotes anger. It comes from a root word that that kind of describes the the flaring of nostrils uh, when someone is is really, really upset. But this is more of an indignation, not towards them or towards those who are weeping, but rather towards death and its cause, which is sin. Because of sin, death is present and holds power in this world. When I was pastoring, before I became an army chaplain, I was pastor of New Perth ARP Church, uh, which is north of Charlotte. Not too far from Statesville, if you ever travel west. And we just entered a season during that five years, especially in the last two, where a number of our saints were, were passing away. And these were folks who had been... Uh, born and raised in the area. They had been ARPs uh, their whole life. They had been in that church most of them their whole life. And they had lived 70, 80, 90 years. And as, as we were as conducting the service, one time I just found myself stopping and going, I hate death. I'm tired of doing funerals. I really am. And it's harder now in the army. They're a lot younger. They're a lot younger. We like to say, uh, as we make our plans in the army, the enemy gets a vote. Well, and in this life, sin and death get a vote too. But I love for Jesus, not today. Not today. Now, Lazarus will die again. Sorry, Lazarus. But today, today this is going to end up differently. Jesus holds the power of, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the destroyer of sin and death. And even though he knows what he's about to do, his heart is still broken for as he is seeing this play out. Even though he knows the script. How many of you have a favorite movie? You've watched it a hundred times. 
And let's face it, you're a sap because you keep crying every time. Even though you've seen the movie, you know how it's going to end. You cry anyway. Saving Private Ryan. I cry every time. That joke didn't go quite as well as I thought it would. (laughs) But he knows what he's about to do, but he's still broken to the heart for them. And the way that the scriptures describe his crying, his heart is spilling over and his cheeks are wet with crying. We see his humanity, his, his real true humanity played out right here for us. He is not indifferent to your suffering. The nights when you've had difficulty going to sleep because you are plagued by this one thought. Or this one relationship that is dear to you is broken in a thousand ways. It's shattered. And your heart is broken on account of it. What does Psalm 103.13 tell us? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I love, I love that imagery of our tender Lord binding up our wounds, taking the cloth and wrapping them and anointing them and caring for them and healing them. I changed the sermon uh, title, by the way, uh, the binding and the unbinding, because at the end of the sermon, uh, Lazarus is being unbound. But in this way, what they don't realize is Jesus is about to bind the wounds of their heart. And that is what God does for us. He loves us. And friend, if you're suffering, He knows that. He sees that. And His heart is breaking for you. And He will make it right. We long for that. Just make it right. In Revelation 21.4, and I'm going to try to get through this without weeping. The Scriptures tell us, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, friends, hear me, your eyes, if you are in Christ, one day your, eye, your eyes will shed their last tear. Never again. The Lord Himself will take His nail-pierced hand and brush that tear away from your cheek, the final tear. Amen to that. And finally, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We come now to that account where Jesus and the rest of the grieving company has made their way to the tomb where Lazarus has been placed. And as was the practice, a large stone has been rolled across the entrance. Jesus instructs them to remove it. And Martha suggests that's not a good idea. Again, I love Martha. who, who Her theology is sound. Doesn't Martha have good theology? Lord, I know whatever you ask can be done. I believe in the resurrection. She's a good theologian. But that doesn't stop her from trying to either passively reproach the Lord or suggest that's not a good course of action. I've often wondered, how did she say that? Nevertheless, there's going to be an odor from the decay. And Jesus replied, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they rolled it back and Jesus prayed aloud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out bound in linen strips with his hands and feet wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him. What a staggering sight that must have been. And of course, this caused many to believe and also others left there to go back to Jerusalem to discuss how they might kill him. He just conquered death. And yet they are so blind, they are so dead in their sin, that they're going to go back to Jerusalem to try to figure out a way to destroy Jesus. Our sin and and being dead in our sin makes us think and do the absolute irrational. And that's what unbelief does. But let me speak a moment regarding the voice of God. This is the same voice that commanded creation, beginning with let there be light. Jesus speaks and his workmanship must obey. This is the same Jesus, the same voice in Mark 4, that when he was in a dangerous storm at sea in a small boat, he stood up and shouted, peace be still, and immediately there was a great calm. In Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful, majestic, breaking the cedars of Lebanon. You get this view of Jesus speaking, the Lord speaking, and all of creation is forced to respond in whatever manner God commands, and it must take place, and it will take place. But God doesn't always and only shout. You may remember this from 1 Kings 19. And a strong wind tore the mountains, and after the wind an earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in these. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Whether he shouts or whispers, the voice, the calling of Jesus, always accomplishes its purpose. (coughs) See, the image of Lazarus is us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul helps us understand our spiritual condition prior to the intervention of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and trespasses and sins in which you once walked according or following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Friends, Lazarus could not will himself back to life. He could not will himself back to health. He was utterly passive in what was taking place. He could not resist the the onslaught of death. 
He could not overcome the power of decay in his mortal body. He was absolutely and in every way passive and dead. Let me go back momentarily to the day at Airborne School. This was the only time in my life I can remember not willing or wanting or desiring anything whatsoever. Utterly passive, entirely void for a time of of thought at all. You could see but not look. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But you had no will. You had no desires. You had you, you nothing. And then awake. At some point, for each and every one of us who are in Christ, there was a time when we were dead and our trespasses and sin, wanting nothing to do with God, not willing for Him, not desiring for Him. Any God that we did desire was actually a God after our own fashion, our own wanting, our own desires. And in utter grace and mercy... Jesus calls out, Will, wake up. This Lazarus is you and I. Jesus, as he comes and as he ministers, folks, whenever he, when he heals the blind, it's not just so that people understand that Jesus can heal the blind. It's so that they can understand that they are spiritually blind. When he multiplies bread, he's not just doing that so he can satisfy their physical hunger. He's demonstrating that he is the satisfaction of their spiritual hunger, of their entire hunger. As Jesus comes and he heals someone who is lame, he helps people understand that he enables to spiritually walk. To spiritually talk and to see and to be alive. All of these things point to who Jesus is. So that friends, when we look around our lives and we see that in the providence of God there is suffering. Maybe again, maybe you're there now. And you ask the question, Lord, how long? Lord, my faith is hurting. Lord, I am struggling. The Lord Jesus reminds us, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. Trust me. I do not know how uh, the story that I'm in right now, it's regarding uh, one of our children. I do not know how this is going to end. And I pray how I pray that all involved will one day in this lifetime lift up praise and glory to God together. Nevertheless, we still cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our salvation. Do not let the world go, but look at this pretty house built on the sand. Isn't it such a fine house? And it makes sense. It doesn't. Because when the storms come, and they always will come, your foundation resting on Christ will stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Oh Lord, how I pray 
that it would continue to have its work in our life. And Lord, perhaps even this week, as we go here and there, going about the, uh, the, the calling of our life, uh, Lord, the duties and the responsibilities of this life that it holds, Father, I pray that we would still be chewing on these morsels. And that, Lord, you would grow faith in us. Lord, that we would look with greater and greater longing towards you, being more and more satisfied in you, and having our faith built and strengthened. So that, Lord, when the time of testing, when the time of warfare begins, we will be able to stand our ground, come what may. We thank you for these things.